Welcome, welcome, welcome to self-improved everybody. My mishpoche, Yiddish for family. Everyone, I hope you enjoy your Friday. Have a great weekend. Anyone listening who are my fellow Yahudim, Shabbat Shalom, good Shabbos. Have a great Shabbat dinner. And enjoy, if you're keeping Shabbat tomorrow, kick back, relax. I wish you the best. If not, go crush whatever endeavor you are getting after. For anyone else listening, my goyim, crush your endeavors. I wish you the best. And enjoy. We're talking psycho-cybernetics part two. This is, I love how deep this book gets. Enjoy, please. Oh, and rate five stars if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Welcome, everybody. This is the second time I'm doing this. Yes, second time. It was so weird. I got pretty far, 20 minutes in, and my phone, it didn't turn off. Like, it didn't die, but it did just, like, restart. I don't know. It was messed up. In it. But I'll tell you what. I had a ton of fun the last time I did this, and that's what matters. So even though this won't be the same, I'm accepting that this is not going to be the same podcast, but I enjoyed the last one so much even though I was by myself just talking. So I'm going to do my best to give you the same experience. But again, some of the random thoughts I have after I give tidbits on this book, those random thoughts I may not get again, which is fine. But I hope you get some good random thoughts here. Without further ado, let's finish this book, Psycho-Cybernetics. Chapter 5, there's a part called Let Sleeping Dogs Lie. Maltz believes we don't need to dig up every past experience. Now, we do have to learn from our mistakes when it's superficial, like horseshoes, golf. If you miss the target, learn your mistake and hit the target. But once we hit the target and, you know, metaphorically hit the target, let's start looking broader. We need to stop thinking about our misses and remember how we hit. So, this means that digging up the past, whether that's pain, fear, trauma, it can actually deter us from our goals. And we like to look at measurable things when it comes to goals how many cars you sell in a year you know what i mean but goals can also be our emotional state how do we deal with an argument how do we deal with loss and grief these are things that can be goals i call them emotional goals maybe if you aren't reaching those goals like you don't like how you react to situations maybe you aren't addressing past issues that are holding you back so this is the key part once you've removed that blockade analyzing your past failures might end up bringing that blockade back in again there's no need for that Simply analyze past success instead of failure once you're on the right track. That's how you establish a positive feedback loop. So, for example, a case study with me. A sleeping dog that I let rest is my insecurity about my intellect. In the past, I couldn't stand it just because of my peers and I'd compared everyone. Now, I know that I am so capable of so many things and I bring to the table so much That's what I focus on, the things that I do know, the things that I am intelligent in regards to. So I don't dig that up anymore, even though I'm aware of it because I'm talking about it right now. I choose not to dig that up, okay? I will think about what I'm good at now and what I feel intelligent in now because without going on a whole spiel, intelligence, you know, it really is in the eye of the beholder. What are you being tested on? If you're only tested on so much you will believe you are capable of so much for example we've all heard this saying right i think einstein said it. i don't know it might be a fake quote but if you test a fish's ability on climbing a tree they will forever feel like a failure that is life 
So imagine if that fish only focused on not being able to climb. That is the blockade. By focusing on how good they are at swimming, and that's what they bring to the table for everyone around them and themselves, they remove the blockade. Next, these are two steps Maxwell Maltz believes that will help you find your convictions. Not, and I know we hear conviction, we think like a court case, you convicted to something, but conviction also just means changing opinions or beliefs. So, one, find something you know you're capable of, and two, find something inside you that you will not allow to suffer indignities. So, I'm capable of listening well. I also will never allow someone to yell at me for just their past baggage that has nothing to do with me. Right there, I have found a, an opinion or a belief. So I believe, and it's my opinion, that a person should listen more because it benefits everyone around them. It's also my belief or opinion that you should not yell at someone making them the problem when there is stuff, some baggage you have not resolved. That's my opinion or belief. It's controversial, but... And anyways, you can take this with anything. Right now, I want you to do this. Find something you're capable of. All right, say it out loud. Good. And then find something off the top of your head that you will never allow yourself to suffer from. And, you know, that you won't let someone strip your dignity of. Once you found that thing you won't allow yourself to suffer from, now just in a sentence say, I believe or it is my opinion that, and fill in the blank. What you think other people should be capable of, what other people should do, and then say, I personally believe, or it's my opinion, that, and explain what you will not suffer, and that you don't want believe other people should suffer from that. That, right there, is how you can shape opinion or belief, which, it sounds like, okay, cool, Zeb, what's the point of that? The only point is to have fun. I'm here, let's just have fun analyzing shit. That's why we're doing this. It's fun to find an opinion or belief that you did not know you had previously. The next time you believe something negative about yourself, Maxwell Maltz wants you to ask this. One, is there a rational reason for such a belief? And actually, I'm going to backtrack a second. Here's a question to you listening. What is something negative that you believe about yourself right now? I'll, I'll give you a second or pause this. Think about it. Good. Now that you've found that negative belief. One, is there a rational reason to believe this? Second, could you be mistaken in that belief? Who taught you that belief? Third, this is powerful. Would you come to the same conclusion if someone you loved or a friend had the similar belief or situation? And four, after asking these things, why should you continue feeling this way if there's no good reason to believe your negative thought? Now, the funny thing is, I'm using the term negative belief if you want to go real deep on not taking anything personal and detaching, you could, in essence, do the same thing about compliments. Because, I've given the spiel before, everything's a projection. When someone compliments you, it represents a projection of their awesome past that someone's taught them to love. Just like when we've been taught negative beliefs, that's a projection of our negative past. And if someone else taught us that it's negative to whatever... That's a projection of their negative past. So what I'm saying is this applies to any belief about yourself. These questions. Here's a quote. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. That's by Dr. Knight Dunlap. And this quote actually reminds me of priming in thinking fast and thinking slow. 
The scientific term for this is the Batter-Meinhof phenomenon in thinking fast, thinking slow. That phenomenon is when you talk about red cars, you see red cars. So if you learn something, you typically start to see it in your life. When we think something, we see opportunities for that. That's why I believe in active manifestation. It's that if you start imagining outcomes you desire and really want or talk about them, you will start to see an opportunity for that. And you are going to jump on that opportunity because you really desire it. And that's why you manifest actively your goals when you start thinking about them. And that's why this quote reminded me of that is when you, as a man thinketh, when you are thinking something in his heart, so he is, when you really believe that you can do something, it will, you will become it. So he is, you, you will be that. Now that's going super deep. We can go more superficial with this. Philosophers have often said, well, our perceptions of the world, it's really just in our head. We cannot prove that everyone has the same perceptions. And so the same thing, this guy's just saying, it's the world's subjective. As a man thinketh, in his heart so he is. That what you think is what is. It's all a reflection of what we were taught. Chapter 6 kicked off with a great point. Really great. I'm actually so glad I read this, I forgot all about this. Happiness comes first and outcomes will follow. It seems as though people have it other way around. Picture this, someone says, when I have the promotion... I'll have all my worries and problems fixed. I won't have to worry. They say that. I don't have to worry anymore. That's a fallacy. We create problems in our lives no matter what external factors pop up. This reminds me, I remember actually last, when I did this the first time, because if you're just tuning in, I already did this podcast, but then it malfunctioned. And I was mentioning how, like, inner outer world, uh, that our inner world creates our outer world. So what we create in our head actually makes our perceptions real but then it's a paradox because our outer world what we perceive technically is the catalyst for our even concept of the inner world anyways without blowing your mind there this kind of reminded me of that but more on how like the happiness comes first our outcomes will follow everything else you'll will be under those rose colored glasses scotty thick is just up in my grill yeah i hope you all heard that bum smack that's that's what I live for. <laughs> Anyways, so people, Dr. Lori Santos in Science Well Being, great free course by Yale. She says, and they've done studies on this, folks that got plastic surgery, better grades, um, marriage, so they got married, fitness went up. When they were unhappy before all of those circumstances, they were still unhappy after, typically. Whereas if a person is happy before they get everything I listed, they are also happy afterwards. Isn't that funny? And you're wondering, Zev, how does that happen? Well, first off, happiness is quite elusive. It's not a constant state. It's always flowing. It's yin-yang theory. We need bad times to know about happy times and vice versa. Okay? But when you start reframing with gratitude, and that's what Dr. Lori Santos says, it's the gratitude reframing that forces you to be happy. Whether that's negative visualization, imagining something happening for the last time, whether that is um, mindfulness, which is very cliche, but mindfulness is an easy way to be grateful, and whether it is, look, I don't know what to call it, but let's say I spilt coffee, I, instead of going, oh, I'm so unlucky because I spilt coffee, no, 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 if that coffee did not spill, that means you would not have the life you have. Because to have that coffee spill in that room, in that house, in that, or at that workplace, it, it actually, the spilt coffee represents all the great things you have. Therefore, 
it is a good thing that the coffee spilt. Otherwise, if it hadn't, it means none of the other things existed because strings are attached to everything you do. And that, folks, is why happiness will come first, then outcomes follow. Just like the coffee analogy, when you have found gratitude, everything else has, I guess, that uh, silver lining. Everything has a good positive aspect tied to it. And if you're wondering, Zev, you're really going off on that. It's because like, I really hope you understand. And, and I can't see you right now, so I can't see if you're nodding your head or understanding. But I really hope you do. Here's a cool concept on moral conviction and cognitive dissonance. Good and evil are inherently the same. Both good and evil folks, they justify their behaviors. Like in their eyes, it is the complete truth. Just like you right now will justify your truth. Again, think of genital mutilation. <laughs> I know I know that's so random, but like, no, no, no. Honestly, there are parts of the world where that is okay. And even the women see it as that's just what happens when I get to a certain age. For us, we see that as horrible. To have someone's clitoris literally like burned off or cut off or something. But, and that's moral conviction. People go, Zev, are you defending them? No. I understand though that the same way I see it as wrong is the same way they see it as wrong when a woman has a clitoris. It's stuff like that, people, where good and evil are inherently the same to the beholder. The reason I'm telling this too is not just for a fun fact. It's so if you ever start debating with a person and you understand that their beliefs are completely opposite to yours, you don't have to prove because proving is just your ego projecting, which is just some deep, deep comparison shit. You can back off and let your self-esteem shine because self-esteem is what we really should be projecting, not our egos because the ego is all about proving. That is why, now that you know this, you will let someone give their opinion. You'll say simply, you'll go, I understand, but I disagree. And if they want to keep trying to prove or change your mind, that's then now you have awareness of their ego. And I'll get later on to this. There's a part in this book, he actually debunks id, ego, and superego. And says it's really just, we use those terms to describe neurological things happening. And I'll, when we get there, I'll talk about it because it's really cool. I kind of agree. This whole time, I've always been using ego, superego, and id. But now I kind of want to start just saying the way your neurons fire. <laughs> Anyways, there's a sneak peek. Next, this professional, this professional, um, sorry, not a professional. Oh my gosh. Professor. His name's Elmer Gates. He practiced what he called calling up pleasant ideas and memories. Time out, folks. Oh my god. Isaiah Isaiah is chirping Coach Scott here about his height. I, Isaiah was saying Isaiah was saying that 5'11 is the worst height, apparently. Hey, yell for the people you're upset at. 5'11 is a beautiful height. It's a beautiful height. It is a beautiful There's height. lots of great people that are 5'11. Don't let Isaiah put you down, folks. Bro, I five eleven is dumb. Five nine, and I'd be I'd be dunking. If I was five eleven, I'd be dunking a basketball. So you're like still one single number. See, hey, hey, he's hey, yo, Scott. You know Isaiah's talking about that phenomenon, the gold medal, silver medal phenomenon. 
That's what he's talking about. I'm a silver medalist. I'm content being... Oh, sorry. I'm a bronze medalist. I'm content. You're, I guess he's saying he, he, you're so close to gold that you're, you, the silver doesn't feel the same. No, I'm... Bro, five... That's so funny that he's saying... You, there's no way you actually think it sucks. <laughs> you, you, don't let Isaiah... You're, Isaiah's just bullying. <laughs> Isaiah said it's okay. That's so. Wow. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're telling him. You're gaslighting him now. You're telling. It's odd, eh? Wow. Isaiah, watch you become five eleven. Oh, he said he's not going to be. Recessive genes. He said. He said his dad's six. Anyways, folks, some context there. That was hilarious. Little Isaiah, this guy's going into high school. He's like eighth grade. Starts chirping at Coach Scott about being five eleven because he's so close to six feet. It's the worst height ever. And then <laughs> we're just like going off about it. And oh, that's so funny. And says he won't be that height because his dad's tall. Anyways, let's get back to this. Calling up pleasant ideas and memories. So Maxwell Maltz, the author, he says this is one of the most important aspects of psychocybernetics. Now, when you're first off, when you hear psychocybernetics, you're only like, what does that mean? What are you, Isaiah? What are you looking at? What are you smirking at? What are you laughing about? Are you laughing about something? Get your ass out of here. I no, I'm done growing. <laughs> yeah, I'm done, man. You, you, you do. You do got a couple years to go. You five seven. <clears throat> I, so I'll tell you, me personally, I hit my max height in like grade ten. Fun fact. But some, I had a buddy from grade ten to grade twelve grew like four inches, and he's like six three. So I'm just saying, you never know. My dad grew what was it, seven inches in one year, and he came six six. Stop, stop. Hey, you never know, man. I, seeing as like your body type, I would not be surprised if you do sprout past six feet. Just saying, just so if that reassures you, there you go. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. Stop. Why? Five eleven is great, man. Uh, this guy. Just five of them. Just. Wow, 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 wow. He came back in here, folks, just to tell me, like, he asked, you know, if I, when, if I stop growing at a certain age and stuff. Oh, that's so funny. So, again, back to it. Psycho, being short form for psychological, our, our mind. And then cybernetics, this means our automatic mechanisms, right? Things we do automatically. So that's why he says this calling up pleasant ideas and memories is so important for our in our head creating these automatic mechanisms that we don't control when we remember what it feels like to be at our best the switch is turned back on like we're in that moment we're reconnected we start experiencing bliss not just externally internally that's the important part because our outer world is a projection of our inner world theoretically now this I, I could see why this is one of the most important parts of psychocybernetics, because when we identify as something, that is when it becomes automatic. And guess how you start identifying as something? When you intrinsically feel it. That is where an identity begins. And then the habit starts. And a habit doesn't require motivation. It's then that it is automatic. So call up good things. Go back to a great feeling. I actually started doing this in the mornings because I saw someone on the internet recommend it. 
where you go and you get back into a moment where you are so grateful and so happy and full of nachas, as I'd say in Yiddish. You remember how that felt. And then in that moment, even though it's not happening, your brain doesn't know that, right? Our brain, it think about a dream. In our dreams, we'll be sweating, maybe even crying or things will happen. Our heart rate goes up and down, even though it's not real. But our brain doesn't know it's not real. So it creates physiological change to adapt. You can do this when you're also awake. Like That's what imagination is. And that is why when you get into these states, this whole different state, it lingers. We have states that carry over. And at the end of this book, he talks about carryover. If you get into a blissful state, because you've imagined these great memories and ideas, you will carry that state over to what you do next in the next chapter of the day. Just picture this scenario. You sit down. For me, it's like I was picturing driving along the countryside with the great music on, truly feeling blissful, retired. I thought about that the last few mornings, and I go into the next stage of my day feeling like that. And that's going to project to my conversation being better, and it ripples. It ripples in a positive way. Think about it. So start taking two minutes. Maybe do it right after you've listened to this. Take two minutes to think of a fantastic time and and look through your own eyes a second time. Go right back into that moment. Morph into your body again in that moment and feel what it felt like and relive it and then let that carry over and your life will change, I guarantee it. Here's one. Our self-image and our habits go together. Yes, I know. And this is so cool to think about. You change one, you automatically change the other. So our self-image tends to grow our old habits and grow into a new habit. I like to, let's use a really basic example. Let's say I don't brush my teeth. That's an old habit. My self-image starts to change. I start to identify as someone who brushes my teeth. So now my self-image is that of one who brushes their teeth. Guess what will happen? My habit will outgrow the old one. I'm going to start brushing my teeth. That's a new habit I'm changing. Isn't that crazy? So let's extrapolate. What in your life do you identify as? And what is your self-image? Who do you see yourself as? Your habits reflect that self-image. Whether you like it or not, you can't deny that. And so, what? 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 What, what's good about 511? Is that the 11th part is the highest number in, in, the, in the range of 5 feet? Yes. Okay. That's okay. Okay, there you go. So but at least. It's the worst number. <laughs> it's the highest, but it's the It's worst still number. one of the worst. I see. Hey, I like that you're thinking optimistically. Yes. Right on. There you go. Maybe you tell Scott that. He'll feel better. <laughs> Isaiah. He comes in and goes, you know. At least the 11, it's the highest number on the scale of five feet. I go, okay, there's, that's an optimistic way to think. He's telling Scott right now. Scott goes, exactly. Now, let's say you are inspired to change your self-image. Your habits might not change, but it's when someone has changed the way they see themselves. The habits follow. So this is kind of an interesting way to trick yourself into changing your habits. Start intrinsically, get deep, motiv- stop using motivation, change identity. Oh, and this is the cool part, is you can start looking at people in your life and you know what their self-image is because it's a reflection of their habits. So if a person habitually exercises all the time, that reflects their self-image. They identify as an exerciser. If a person habitually makes a lot of money, that reflects their self-image. Potentially. Now, this is where I'm saying you also have to question. So let's say a, 
a person exercises a lot and you think their self-image is that of they enjoy exercise. But let's say they exercise a lot because they just want to get back in an ex-partner or they want to look good for a certain event. Then you don't know the context. And so really their self-image would reflect the habit because their self-image is that of a person that is envious, that who wants to prove or compare. And that's actually not the best self-image to have, but they're fronting a different self-image. So this is where now you got to look at people and go, okay, are they fronting that self-image or is that authentic? Really deep stuff, but I really love that, eh? Start looking at people in your life. What is, you'll know if they have a healthy self-image because of their habits. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed. We're, we're going to have to stretch this out. Enjoy part three. It's going to come next week. And again, if you're wondering, by the way, all the Judaism stuff, or as we'd say in Hebrew, Yiddishkeit, uh, it's because it's Friday. I can't help but think about Shabbos on Fridays. I'm sorry. But if this was like a Tuesday, I wouldn't be saying anything. You wouldn't hear any of that fakakta. Anyways, enjoy. Enjoy. This is not the intro. I hope you enjoyed. Take care. I could keep talking forever, but I'm going to let you get back to it. Thank you. Bye.